Shut up and sit down. When the Wind Blows is an epic-inspired podcast that brings innovation to professional development. Well, welcome back to When the Wind Blows. This is an epic podcast for parents, teachers, leaders, and well, just anyone vested in the world of education. And I am incredibly blessed to have the two co-founders of Epic Charter School here on the, the cast today. We've got Ben Harris, David Cheney, two people who I think, when I think of, of today's topic, daring and brave leadership uh, really exemplify uh, they're, they're the examples of daring leadership. And so gentlemen, thank you so much for, for being here and coming on the podcast today. Thanks for having us. Yeah, our pleasure. Now, David, uh, I'm going to come to you first. Um, because I usually ask everybody like, what's your origin story to Epic? And, and you are the origin story of Epic, right? So talk to me, um, if, if you can, put yourself back 10 years ago and and tell me uh, through fresh eyes what it is. Why did you start Epic Charter School? Uh, it's not it's not a hard story uh, to remember um, because it still feels uh, very fresh, even though it's been actually 11 years ago. Uh, but, uh, you know, I had... Uh, Small children have three kids, and at the time, my oldest was in uh, middle school, uh, and all my kids uh, attended uh, different public schools, and uh, he was having some trouble getting into trouble in class and things like that. Uh, we had some meetings with his teachers, and then uh, one specific meeting uh, with all of his teachers in the room, uh, we started talking about uh, the challenges they're having with him, and and. I asked, uh, to me, a very important question. I asked, how are his grades? Uh, and they told me his grades are great. He was actually in, uh, I think it was, uh, I'm not mistaken, maybe it was seventh or eighth grade. And he, so he was in pre-AP classes uh, in all of the advanced classes he could be in that the school offered and was doing very well in those classes academically. And I said, okay, what is, what's the problem? What are the challenges? And I said, the problem is that he gets his work done in 20 minutes. Uh, and then he's a disruption in the class for the next 25 minutes. Uh, and uh, I said, okay, well, you know, we can solve this problem together. You know, uh, coming from a household with parents as, as lifetime educators, I, you know, let's, let's figure out how to customize a plan for him, push him so that he's challenged and has to stay engaged and hooked up for the entire class period. You know, we'll work with him at home. You can, we'll work together. Let's come up with a plan to, to individualize. And they basically said there's no way they could do that. That uh, what they said was that's not our job. Uh, and, and I said, okay, meeting's over. Left that meeting and uh, knew that there was a need for, for my child. Didn't know how big the need may be in Oklahoma for uh, the ability to customize uh education and uh 
trying to figure out how to solve that problem uh, rather than just complain about it. Uh, started looking at charter schools and, and uh, knew at that time that Ben actually had been working in that industry and, and setting up charter schools uh, for other uh, organizations around the country. And so I reached out to Ben about, you know, potentially starting a charter school uh, here in Oklahoma that could individualize, that could meet that, fill that void and, and that niche, if you will. And uh, through that conversation, just started talking about what we saw out there of different models and what we thought were kind of best in class uh, pieces of, of different charter models. And that's kind of where the Epic model uh, at least began. And, and obviously over 10 plus years of, of educating children has evolved and changed and, and grown significantly uh, from those original concepts. But that's that's kind of where it all started. Yeah, and I've got so many other following questions that I, I was thinking of throughout that. Uh, you guys, I mean, your story, David, uh, has a lot. I mean, my kiddo in pre-K, and that, that was the year uh, we opened our doors to students. And my oldest was in pre-K. And I remember having a meeting and they, they asked me if I had ever thought about putting her on medication uh, because she was busy. She would talk to the other kids in her class. She was getting her work done and then moving on to talking. And And I thought, no, she's four. <laughs> I have not thought about putting her on medication. And so, I mean, I would say it was probably a week after that we, we moved her to Epic and um, haven't really looked back. So, uh, You know, Aaron, one of my favorite Epic stories from the early years is, is when I uh, – you know, as, as we were getting started and, and I was actually, uh, I would go around the, the state and go to different parent meetings and there happened to be one in the Tulsa area at the Bass Pro Shop uh, where I met the, this really high energy uh, person that was really excitable and, and asked a lot of questions and her name was Aaron Barnes. And uh, so I, from that meeting, I knew that uh, we, need, we needed to have Aaron Barnes be uh, part of uh, whatever Epic was to become. So that's, that's one of my favorite Epic stories. Thank so. you very much, sir. Uh, ben, tell me how your role in this came to be. Y you and David have been lifelong friends, yeah? Yeah, we've known each other since we were kids, so sure. And so uh, he, he says, you're in this world. I got an issue going on. You want to start a school? Yeah, I think it was, uh, you know, a lot of the things just by happenstance that I'd been working on were outside Oklahoma. Um, it, that wasn't incredibly intentional. It's just where I found myself and I still lived in Oklahoma and had no plans to move. And I think David and I talked frequently, you know, out of both friendship and, and then uh, we were involved in another in another business opportunity together. And when he started telling me this this personal challenge, you know, to me, it was sort of like we just sort of met in the middle in the sense that, you know, you have this personal need and, and you know, I have a professional skill set that I think can help solve that problem. And I think at that moment, it just sort of, you know, it ignited the discussion of, you know, we need to build a charter school that's centered around personalized learning in Oklahoma. And uh, a lot of the things that I've been had done out of state. Uh, the schools that, that I had been involved with were all either built or 
constructed around creating a personalized learning model for kids. So it really just kind of happened. And then from there, it was a collaboration and, and, uh, we, we really just couldn't stop working because, uh, we, we had so much energy and excitement around the idea. So I had, uh, Bart on last week's episode and, and one of the things he had talked about, um, when it comes to innovation and progressive models like Epic is all of the hate from the outside. And so I, I have the question on here. How did you guys decide you had thick enough skin to be innovators? Uh, did you even know you needed thick skin to, to do this job back then? No, um, I, I probably should have known, but I still, I don't think realized it. I think, you know, anybody that's uh, been active in, the, in, in developing partner schools realizes that there's political resistance you know, in almost every state where you try to do it, um, and Oklahoma is not an exception. So I should have known, but I don't think I did. I think we were so excited about the innovation and the problems that it could solve uh, for families that I don't think we thought much about being criticized. We thought about, you know, can we solve a problem and can we be a solution for families? And, and, and you know, if we are, that'll be really validating. I think all we, as, as typical you know, education entrepreneurs, I think we were more consumed with the upside than the downside. <laughs> and I, I would, I would say I thought I had some pretty thick skin, uh, through experiences. And, and I'm a person that believes in, uh, what I call positive disruption. Uh, so I knew that what, you know, once the model kind of started coming together, uh, I knew it had the opportunity to be positively disruptive. Uh, to the education industry uh, here in Oklahoma. Um, and like I said, I, so I thought I had uh, pretty thick skin coming into it. Uh, definitely didn't know how thick of skin uh, I would, how, how thick my skin would need to be uh, and, and how thick it's gotten uh, as a result of, of all of the different things that we've gone through here at Epic. I bet you guys feel like tortoises now. <laughs> Just kidding. Sorry. Uh, okay. So, uh, David, what's been the most difficult part about being uh, a leader in a in a progressive or innovative model such as Epic? Well, one one of the uh, challenges, uh, and it kind of goes to your last questions, is uh, one of the things that we've had to do at Epic is to, as much as we can, uh, block out some of the outside noise. Uh, to stay focused and keep the organization and all the amazing people we have working here at Epic and have had over the years focused on our mission. Because uh, one of the things that I'm most proud of at Epic is that you know the mission statement that Ben and I actually crafted, it was one of the first things we did, uh, thinking about what we wanted our school and our model to be. The mission statement is, is the same today as it was uh, you know, 10 years ago when we created it. And, and, and we don't just have a mission statement on paper. We actually, you know, as an organization, live our mission. So, you know, being able to still push forward and, and innovate and improve and get better at the uh, difficult and important task of uh, educating students in Oklahoma uh, while, you know, being able to, as much as possible, deflect or, or block out some of the outside noise uh, is it has been a real leadership challenge. 
any any follow up been to um, the difficulties you've seen uh, when you're trying to kind of change the face of education? Uh, yeah, I think there's. David mentioned the external things. I think that the hard challenges too are internally. You know, new ideas beget new problems, and so I find that a lot of the problems we're trying to solve at Epic, there's not a playbook and there's not much of a point of reference to look to um, because the dilemmas we face are a little bit different because our model is so different. So that that's challenging too, just because you don't have other places you can look. Uh, you know, you might have like a, a hypothetical example that may have some comparison that you don't, it's hard to say, has any other school ever been in this situation and how did they, what did they do to get out of it? Because, you know, you create your own unique situations uh, with a unique model. So um, that's, that's another challenge of it, but you know, it also, it makes it fun. And, you know, we do a lot of uh, thought experiments in Epic where, you know, we don't know that what we're doing is the right answer, but we, we try things and we do it in a controlled way. We try to measure it. And if it works, we replicate it. And if it doesn't work, we, we quit doing it. Um, so uh, that, that's one way we kind of work, work through that part of it. Do you think, uh, I mean, and just following up to that, we've grown every single year uh, by 30 to 110%, right? Uh, this last year was kind of an anomaly, but with the growth that we've had in, in the rate that it's come, do you think uh, there are any ideas that you'd like to revisit? Because maybe it didn't work in year three, but now that we're in year uh, 10 or, or, or next year, um, are there any ideas that you think we maybe too quickly threw out uh, because we weren't able to forecast or trend uh, the, with the data? Oh, maybe. I mean, I don't spend a lot of time looking backward. I mean, I think... Uh, you know, now it's all about, you know, getting, do we have the right people in the right places? And I find that most of our solutions come from our team members, you know, so we have people that have been with Epic for 10 years. We have people that have been with Epic for seven, eight months that are all contributing to the solutions. And so I think what we're trying to do now is put a great mix and a great team of, of, uh, you know, people that think differently and sometimes an old idea is sort of resurfaced as a solution. And sometimes uh, it's an idea that is brand new that was brought to us from a, from a, from a organization that's not Epic, you know? So um, I think what's cool is, is as you get that validation from lots of families, you also get to build a, a better and more sophisticated and more diverse team and so it's been a lot of fun to attract the talent we've attracted to Epic. And now we're, you know, more than 2000 people strong. And so, uh, you know, our people really become, you know, our source of, of solutions. And that's been a lot of fun to, to be a part of. You know, uh, in speaking with Bart, he had the book that he had written, Digital Leadership. Uh, he uses a basketball reference, but I think a football reference could could really go in here well as well as well, you know, a, a kicker has a kicking coach, uh, a, a quarterback has a throwing coach, you know, uh, there's an offensive uh, coach, a defensive coach, but ultimately the goal is to come together to win games. Um, how do you 
when you're choosing the, the people that you're choosing, what are you looking for? I mean, you've got to find a leader who's, who's ready to change, ready to develop. Maybe you, you, you picked them because of something they were doing in a different world and you've brought them in. How do you decide who comes in? What are you, what are you looking for in your leadership? For, for me, uh, you know, obviously we, we're in a very fortunate position. As Ben said, we've been able to attract great people uh, with very diverse skill sets uh, and experience. And so there's a lot of people out there that from, uh, to use a, a sports term, an X's and O's standpoint, uh, can, you know, can do the job and, and have the good experience. Personally, for me, what I look for is, is like you said, somebody that is uh, willing to change, I mean, constantly evaluating, as Ben mentioned a little bit ago, how we're doing things and being willing to uh, change, open to new ideas. But but for me, one of the things that I look for when I'm personally looking at somebody to fill a role is, is how they fit within that department and within the culture that we've created uh, within the organization. Because I think culture is a, is a big part of our success uh, and, is, and is something that I'm very proud of and, and kind of uh, watch over is is the culture that even as we've grown uh, the, the culture that is epic internally uh, has has grown stronger with it uh, so uh, and how the how they would fit within that culture and and bring uh, bring things to it that are uh, value adds to to the culture itself awesome um, so I I'm I love reading and it probably doesn't surprise you guys that I, I listen to a crap ton of podcasts as well. <laughs> I was listening to uh, a Brene Brown uh, and Adam Grant podcast a couple of weeks ago that really kind of, uh, it, it hooked me. And one of the things uh, they were talking about, and, and I'll ask you, Ben, um, was employees who are daring and courageous Maybe being led by a leader who uh, doesn't understand necessarily, or maybe brand new to the role. How if I'm a, if I'm an employee that is courageous or daring, but I have a boss that isn't, am I allowed to manage up, uh, or how do I keep from appearing defiant if I've got a boss who who maybe doesn't understand me and, and my style of, of teaching? Well, I mean, that's about three years ago. We, we, as you know, Aaron, we put a lot into a leadership development initiative in Epic, and the impetus for that was a lot of different. One, we had a lot of demand for it. We had people that were saying, "Hey, I want to be developed as a leader, and you know, I want this type of training and coaching." Uh, was one reason. The second is is there was a big need from a standpoint of we had a lot of people that had a lot of integrity and energy but they didn't have a lot of experience managing and leading others. You know, that Epic may have either been their first job that wasn't teaching. It may have been a teaching job where they evolved into a management leadership role. Uh, you know, some teachers that wanted to make that transition, but they wanted the training first. So um, we, we saw it as something that would bring in a common language to our organization and try to help people resolve those dynamics you talked about. I mean, you know, I don't think you want to manage up uh, when you're having conflict with your supervisor, when you all don't see the world the same way. But to be able to communicate that and to be able to lay that out in a common language 
you know, I think we think enough of our people that if you give them the tools to resolve those issues, they're largely going to do it on their own. And, and as a result, I think we went from David and I finding ourselves trying to constantly resolve conflicts and a lot of the time saying, have you talked to this person yet? <laughs> and almost, almost we were becoming a connector of people and a facilitator to get people to sit down and talk. Whereas when we put our effort in a giant and that knowledge and training was distributed across the organization, it was much more rare that David and I were getting involved in those conflicts. And it was also much more rare that people were even coming to us until they had had really exhaustive communications with their supervisor, their team, et cetera. And then they were coming to us saying, gosh, we've hit a, we've had a dead end. We need help, et cetera. So it, I think it's been really transfer, transformational for the organization. And I also think that I hope we have a lot, a lot fewer people that feel like they're trapped or they're smothered by their leader because both them and their leader hopefully has gone through uh, our giant leadership development that we're real proud of. So we think it's made a big impact. Obviously we all have a lot of continuous improvement to work on, but I think we've came a long way in three years. I am really glad you said that and was kind of hoping that would come up uh, naturally because I, I was one of those people. I was a teacher who you guys found value in, in promoting me. And I found myself in this position of leading people and I had no, no clue what I was doing. You know, kids can kind of, uh, follow because there's reverence and, and authority. Uh, adults are a totally different ball game. And so, uh, I found myself in that position of not necessarily knowing, uh, what I was supposed to be doing as a leader. So I really appreciate you guys bringing that through. I love that we, um, all have that common language and, and if nothing else, being able to identify, um, the traits of a, of a person based on their giant leadership, uh, you know, five voices tests. Uh, if, if I'm looking to work on a project, I know, I, I really know that I need at least somebody from the, the other categories that I'm not to have a fully thought through project. If, if a bunch of creatives get in the room, shoot, nothing will probably get done, but, <laughs> but I need a pioneer to lead me and I need a, a guardian to come through and say, you guys, you, you're, you've got blinders on here and here. And so, um, I, I truly appreciate, uh, that giant leadership, uh, that you guys have brought in here. Um, what are what are some of the assertive or aggressive approaches uh, or practices an educator could could use to to push past grabbing the low hanging fruit? Like, what are you? What how? I guess let me th think of a different way to say this. We've all we all when we come into a new position, we're like, okay, well, this wasn't done, this wasn't done. That that's easy to get to. How do you push beyond that or teach looking beyond that? Well, I, I'll give it a stab. I, it, it, you know, to me, what what we try to equip Epic teachers with, and I think in many ways, if you're not an Epic teacher, you're there to support Epic teachers and make them successful. But, you know, we have a system that is really committed in design around that connection between the teacher and family. I mean, so much so that it, it, unless you seek out other resources – that's the only teaching resource you will you'll have at Epic is that one teacher, and obviously we have a lot of other teaching resources available to to our families. But 
I think kind of the bet we're making is the ownership and that deep relationship will will facilitate motivation and trust between the teacher and the kid more than any other factor. And that by isolating it and creating kind of that one-to-one connection, um, that that's going to overcome whatever the shortcomings are in the model, whether that's, you know, not as much FaceTime, you know, uh, you know, uh, not, not a deep, a deeper subject matter expertise. If you're an English certified versus a math certified, things like that. So, you know, to me, what, where I think the, the, the really exceptional people in our model go is they end up being very good at getting kids to do the work and, and getting them to engage. And the difference I think between consistent high performing Epic teachers is they may have a kid that historically has not engaged a lot in their schoolwork, but they're so good on the relationship side and motivating and getting and getting trust and personalizing learning that they, they get that engagement out of a kid that, that may have historically uh, been pretty hesitant to, to put that forward. So and, and for, for me, I think there's a couple of things that as I was sitting here listening to Ben and kind of gathering my thoughts, one is, and, and this is something that we've kind of part of what we've designed the model around, but our teachers, uh, successful teachers do this in a big way as well, but it's, it's uh, knocking down barriers, whether those are barriers to learning barriers to, to access to technology, whatever, whatever those barriers that have previously presented a problem, you know, being willing to put out in the effort to knock down those barriers uh, for our teachers. I think one of the things that, that I've seen over the years is, um, and, and this is true for a brick and mortar classroom teacher, but I think in a model like ours, you get a deeper knowledge and understanding in a lot of cases of the family and the family situations of, you know, not judging a book by its cover um, it is a big thing, you know, uh, being willing to invest the time and, and find out, you know, what you really need to do to help that student and that family. And then uh, as a as a leader at Epic, I think another one that comes to my mind is, is not letting your pride get in the way. Uh, pride of ownership can cause a lot of challenges because just because this is the way we've done this you know, historically, if somebody brings forward a better way, even if it wasn't your idea or the way you thought of it, if, if you can accept that uh, and, and figure out how to integrate that into to the organization for the good of the organization. And, and that's that's to me part of what is we focused on as well and and uh, made uh, great advances because of I mean, uh, there are, the model that is Epic today looks vastly different than the model uh, that Ben and I envisioned uh, on a napkin, if you will, way, you know, many years ago. Uh, and that's because of contributions from hundreds and hundreds of various people that looked at how we were doing something and, and came up with a better mousetrap and a better way to do it that improved, that innovated, and, and that made uh, the quality of, of the school better. Uh, and you can't let pride of ownership get in the way of that. So you just said on a napkin somewhere, which brought to mind a West Wing episode, uh, Bartlett for America. Will will one of you give the other the napkin framed one day? <laughs> I'm just seizing. Okay. <laughs> your your knowledge of West Wing is a is much more deeper and stronger than mine. I mean, I used to watch it, but I don't remember that. So that, I, was that was impressive. Here. I am a little bit of a West Wing dork. 
Yes. I've seen it a few times through. Um, okay. Uh, okay. The learning fund. Um, it's extremely innovative. I've personally gleaned from it in various ways, uh, from extracurricular sports to science kits to, um, uh, just different books that I've wanted to bring on to supplement for my own kiddos. How do you talk to somebody who has no clue what the learning fund is supposed to do? You, we've got haters in, in every walk of life. And, and some of them are saying that this is just creating more privilege or widening, widening the gaps between the haves and the have nots. My kid can't go to Epic because I can't be there. Therefore, we can't get this learning fund. We are going to be farther behind than your kiddos. What do you say to that group of people? Well, I mean, if, if, if your kid can't go to Epic and get the learning fund, my kid can't go to Jinx and play on the Jinx football team or Jinx basketball team. So, I mean, every school, you know, if you go to Lomega, you have access to one of the greatest girls basketball programs in Oklahoma history, but they don't have a football team. So everybody who goes to a school effectively makes choices with regard to the extracurricular programs and activities that are there. And in some respects, they make choices with regard to the curriculums that are available and the technologies that are available. Well, our learning fund is just our school's ability to, to deliver those three things, curriculum, instructional technology, and extracurricular activities. So, you know, certainly we want to offer as much as we can, and we do that through the learning fund. And I think we offer as, as diverse or even more diverse of a variety of offerings to families and and that's attracted a lot of families so but that's no different than any other school so uh, nothing stops another school from having a similar mechanism and so that's really I think that you have a lot of people that are upset because they don't have access to one well they don't go to epic and if they want to go to epic they would have access to it so uh and and as as you've seen over 55,000 families have said we do want access to it and we we think that's attractive and but there's still you know that being said that that still means there's 650,000 families that have decided that the instructional technology curricular and extracurricular packages and offerings that come at other schools are more attractive than ours so they've stayed put so I think to me, it's kind of the best, the best of what school choice has to offer, which is, you know, do what's best for, for your student and your family. So. And the learning fund has definitely, you know, uh, become a, a buzzword or uh, you can probably find it in Urban Dictionary someday. Uh, but, uh, you know, and, and like Ben said, it truly is, you know, we came up with a, with a kind of all-encompassing name uh, in describing what that what that was years ago and, and thought it made it essentially a simple way to explain to families and everyone you know what that is but as been said i mean it's it's truly our way to uh personalize education and, and you know all schools uh in some form or another are providing the curriculum the technology and then as been said opportunities for uh fine arts um and, and other ex- extracurriculars and other uh um, you know, enrichment opportunities. And, and for us, that's, that's done through the, the, the learning fund with a, you know, what is apparently a very fancy title for providing all those things is, uh, 
Uh, and, and being able to, for us, it's it's truly about that's the way we personalize education uh, and, can, and can have a family and, and teacher work together to figure out what every student needs to have poured into them to get the outcomes that, that we all want to see for that student, which is success. And, and if there's a complaint about inequality, the complaint ought to be made by Epic parents because the taxpayer resources that an Epic parent consumes to be an Epic is about two thirds of the taxpayer resources that are consumed in a traditional public school counterpart. So to me, the inequity argument is a total red herring. And, uh, you know, it, it's, it goes back to, if you think it's so great, why don't you do it? Um, and the reason people don't do it is because it's hard and it's hard to manage and it requires sophisticated technology. Uh, and, uh, and and that's what I th I'm really proud to say that, that we have and are able to do that for our families. So. Awesome. Sorry. My episodes typically end right here, approximately. And so that was the ending music coming in. But I stopped it because I, I, I really do. I want to get to one more question I have for you guys. And I appreciate your time. Um, that, that same... Brene Brown and Adam Grant's uh, podcast was talking about, uh, Brene talks about how she has rumbles uh, within her company and, and they're, they're encouraged and promoted. And she basically gave the West Side Story as the, uh, the place where this comes together that like in the musical, the West Side Story, the Soches and the, the Greasers, they, they come together and they rumble but the way they do it is eloquent. It's not like historical, actual rumbling where it's ugly and, and vicious and stuff. It's West Side Story rumbling. They come together, they're singing, they're dancing. It's, it's choreographed arguing, basically. And basically, if you have a problem with your leader, if you have a problem with a process or a policy, coming together and saying, you know, I hear what you're wanting me to do. That's not my experience with this. Can you walk me through it? I have gotten to grow up in an epic. Uh, and I, I say grow up because I, I was a green teacher coming to epic. Uh, and, and I truly appreciate the growth that you guys have allowed me. But I grew up in an epic where you two and I, we would, we would rumble from time to time. And it was awesome. Uh, you allow me to feel heard. Uh, and, and we always walked out and, and high-fived each other afterwards. Do you think there is, uh, I, I honestly think it's one of the successful components that you guys have allowed. Not everybody likes that. Not everybody's willing to rumble. Um, you know, there are some my way or the highway things. Do you think that you guys intentionally did this? Or do you encourage people to bring issues to the table to challenge uh points of view yeah i mean i i think if you've been around david and i we disagree a lot and we do it passionately and i think some of our best ideas though have been products of disagreement where everybody gets heard and you know you you have bits and pieces of everybody's ideas that go into the the final solution and i think when when we interact like that a lot it's hard to not allow others to. So it's sort of from the early days, we all, when we had tough problems, we got get into a room and really kind of hash it out. And 
uh, sort of have a no holds barred discussion um, that got passionate or heated or whatever you want to call it. But I mean, yeah, I think that's part of the culture David talked about earlier. And I think it's a really positive part. I mean, we encourage people to challenge others, whether they be above them in the org chart or parallel to them. And, and I don't think that's typical uh, in, in a public education organization. So I do think that's one of the things that makes us unique. And, and I think it's uh, been a big, big contributor to our success. When I just add, you know, at Epic, we, we talk often about, you know, and I refer often to uh, when I'm talking internally, and we, our families too, but internally of our staff, of, you know, I use the word family because uh, we are a family. Uh, and when you're a family, you know, families have those kind of uh, tough discussions, tough conversations. And, and, you know, as long as you walk out, you know, when you walk out of there, you, you you ultimately know that you're doing it for the right reasons, uh, for a positive outcome, and that everybody's on the same page, and and everybody loves each other, uh, and and that's that's the outcome. Uh, so you know that's and again that's part of our culture is is we are family. You guys think you ever scared the daylights out of somebody with that stuff? I absolutely know we did. <laughs> did Sean Ridenour, who's in. Uh, your, your department uh, used to, uh, we used to have one uh, very early on when we had just a handful of staff, we had a regular staff meeting with essentially all the staff. And uh, one of Sean's favorite stories I heard him tell even the other day, still, this, he uh, affectionately referred to uh, staff meetings as staff beatings. And uh, that's, you know, because Ben and I would be at opposite ends of the table and at, at sometimes, uh, take turns on which one was the more uh, aggressive one for the, for the week. Uh, but, you know, that was solved, like I said, like solving a lot of uh, challenges and, and solving them very fast. You know, Epic's uh, early years are a little bit of a story of, you know, kind of paving the road uh, while we're driving the car on it. Uh, Cause there wasn't a real roadmap uh, for how to do this uh, model in Oklahoma when we, when we started, we kind of had to create it as we went and, uh, you know, and, and keep the focus on serving our families at the center of everything we did and, and sort everything else out and figure everything else out as, as we went. I, uh, I truly do love both of you. You need to know that, uh, one of the, the greatest lessons I learned from you guys was, uh, that, there should be no competing priorities as long as we do everything's kids first, teachers second, admin third, then we're doing it right. And I remember that, that that's ingrained in my heart. I, I just, I truly love what you guys have done and what you guys have created here. Well, thanks, Aaron. So we feel the same way about you and uh, thanks for letting us uh, talk about it and, and, uh, and, and talk about some great memories at the same time. Well, that's all the time we have for today. If you liked what you heard, go ahead and hit the like button and subscribe to the podcast so that you're notified each time a new episode drops. If you're a returning listener, you should rate the podcast. Leave us a comment. Tune in next week where we're rethinking how leadership and education can better prepare the next generation for a rapidly evolving world.